be seated. All right. Good evening. So good to see you all. Eight days ago, Father Brett texted me, and he said, you're preaching on Holy Thursday. And for about a fraction of a second, I was somewhat flattered. And then I realized, I realized that it was April Fool's Day. And I said, there's a spot for a fool to preach on God's holy calendar. And so here I am, praise God. So as I look at this passage, I'm amazed at a couple of different things. The first thing I'm amazed at is the character and the integrity and the perfection and the purity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am also impressed by how not like Jesus I am. I don't know about you, but I have this experience when I'm reading the Bible and I read about the integrity of Jesus and I stop and I say, God, I'm so not like that. Would you do a work in me that I would better resemble and reflect the integrity and the perfection of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You can never lose with that prayer. And so, as I am contemplating the mysteries of this text, I'm overwhelmed with how much material we have in front of us. And so I've been tasked with the responsibility to squeeze a couple of jewels inside of about 20 minutes, okay? I think I've narrowed it down to nine. So let's read the text, shall we? And if you're a note taker, it would be very helpful to you because there's so much here. And I would encourage you, even after tonight, to go back to this text and to continue to read and reread and pray through this text because these 15 verses can utterly transform your life. They are that powerful. So now John 13 and verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, the first thing I see here is that Jesus was not taken by surprise. This was right before the Passover celebration. And in Exodus, we read the story of the Passover just a moment ago, where the blood of the lamb would be applied to the doorposts so that when the destroyer came over the land and he saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over those homes so they wouldn't incur the judgment of God. It would only befall those who were not protected or covered by the blood. And so now Jesus is approaching this Passover and he knows who he is. He's the Passover lamb that's about to be sacrificed and he knows that his hour had come. Remember in John's Gospel, in chapter 1 and verse 29, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying that Jesus is the Lamb that the Passover Lamb in the Old Covenant pointed to. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. The one who would die, whose shed blood would cleanse us and cover us so that we wouldn't be destroyed because of our sin. 
The text also says that he loved his own who were in the world and that he loved them until the end. This is a very interesting statement. In John chapter 1, it says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of the Jews who were supposed to be eagerly anticipating the arrival of their Messiah. And so even those who rejected him, he loved until the end. Are you with me? And this is a life lesson in here. We don't allow other people's inability to love determine whether or not we're going to persist in love. We persist in love no matter what. Our love does not depend upon somebody else's ability or inability to love. Our love depends on our relationship of love, which we share with the Father in and through the person of Jesus Christ. It says that supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. This is really important. This little verse here about Judas Iscariot. You see, what's amazing to me is this, that Jesus was familiar with the Bible. Did you know that? Jesus was familiar with the Bible. And in Psalm 41 and verse 9, the Bible prophesies that Jesus is going to be betrayed. That he's going to be betrayed by an intimate friend. And it talks about the one who had dipped his bread with him is going to lift up his heel against him. This is a powerful reality. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. And so I'd like to clear up this false teaching that I hear often. And here's the false teaching. People say, just spend time with Jesus and your life will be transformed, your heart will be transformed. That's not exactly right. Because Judas spent three years along Jesus' side, ministered with him, heard from his teaching, labored in his name and still betrayed him. So we could come to church, we could sing songs, we could encounter Christ in the Eucharist, we could even pray and read the Bible. But if we don't make a determination to allow Jesus' love to influence our heart, we will not be changed. Are you with me? That's really important. So I come to the church, that's great, I'm here and I'm here to worship. Am I open to the way that the love of God wants to affect my heart in this atmosphere so that I could leave here resembling Jesus just a little bit more? Now how many people know that we could go to church and we could do all of these things? And after years of doing these things, we could be no more like Jesus if we don't accept his influence. Very important. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So Jesus knew three things. What did he know? Jesus knew 
what God had given to him. Jesus knew where he came from. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew what God gave him. He knew where he came from. And he knew where he was going. And because of that, he was able to stand steadfast in the will of God to accomplish the purpose of God. And if Jesus is our example, these are the three things that we need to know. We need to know what God gave us. We need to know where we come from. And we need to know where we are going. Are you with me? Because every single one of us has gifts and skills and talents and aptitudes and abilities that have been granted to us by the Father. And God has uniquely fashioned us for a purpose that he has foreordained. And I know where I came from. I come from God. What did Jesus do when he was raised from the dead and he met with his disciples? He said, peace be with you. He said, as the Father has sent me, so am I also sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. To commission them to walk in the call to which they've been foreordained. That's true for all of us. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, Jesus said. That means that you're a sent one. You have gifts. You come from God. You're being sent by God. And you're going to go and give an account to the Father at the end of your life. And so will you, in the name of Jesus, walk in accordance with the purpose to which you've been called. The purpose that Jesus is here to model for us. Very important. Verse 4 says he rose from supper and he laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Now, Jesus didn't understand. I mean, Peter didn't understand what Jesus was doing because Peter understood something else very well. This is what Peter understood, his own unworthiness. Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And here's a lesson for us also. Because a lot of us understand our own brokenness. And we recognize our own wickedness. And we carry with us things like shame and guilt and degradation. And a sense of loathing. And a, a plaguing conviction to the conscience. For memories that we have of things that we've done wrong. That we regret that we can't change. And we recognize our unworthiness. And because we know that we are unworthy, we reject the grace of God. No, we can't do this. How important is it for the unworthy person to know that the grace of God is for the unworthy person? Are you with me? Amen. So if you are an unworthy person, congratulations. You are a candidate for the grace of God. We can't reject it because the only way that we'll ever become worthy is if we accept the grace of God that transforms us. 
kind of odd. It's like being sick and saying, I'm not going to the doctor until I start feeling better. That's what it would be like to know that you're unworthy and to persist in your rejection of the grace that God freely offers. We don't have to punish ourselves for being unholy. We accept the love that can make us holy. So Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. After Jesus responds, Peter finally realizes that if he allows his shame to keep Jesus away, he's going to be cut off from the salvation of the Lord. He cannot allow his shame to keep Jesus away. So rather than allowing our shame to keep us from God, it should compel us to accept the cleansing that Jesus makes available to us on an ongoing, everyday basis. Now Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Right? This is where we go back to Psalm 41 and verse 9. He recognizes, even my own familiar friend, it says, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That's a way of describing betrayal. He's lifted his heel against me. Well, here's an interesting thing. Jesus is about to wash their feet. He knows that Judas is about to betray him. Jesus is about to wash the heel that would later turn on him in betrayal. He didn't allow a knowledge of Judas's faithlessness to dissuade him from perfect love. He loved and loved and loved no matter what. And how many people know that when you're betrayed, it hurts? And the more vulnerable you are, the worse it hurts. And here Jesus is completely vulnerable, knowing that he's going to be betrayed. Because nothing can stop him from love. It's his very nature. Thank God we have a God that loves like that. Because I know my unworthiness. That's the only kind of God that can love me. Are you with me? Amen. You see, when we put ourselves at the service of people who are unworthy, we do what Jesus did. But it's that kind of supernatural love that will change the world. You see, we shouldn't expect the supernatural to be made manifest in our midst unless we're willing to love in a way that is supernatural. And in order to love that way, I have to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? It's an interesting question. 
what did Jesus do to them exactly? I know what you're thinking. He washed their feet, right? Didn't he wash their feet? Is that what he did to them? What did he do? Oh, wait, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to tell you, right? Let's take a look at this allegorically. Because Jesus was a prophet, wasn't he? He was a prophet. And a lot of times in the Bible, what you see prophets do is they act out a particular reality in order to illustrate some kind of spiritual truth. Okay? So this is a prophetic illustration that's being given by Jesus. Jesus is seated at the table, right? And it says he rises up from the table. And it says he lays aside his outer garment. And then he takes a towel and he girds himself with it. And he stoops down to wash the disciples' feet. And he gets up and he puts his clothing back on and he goes and he sits back down at the table. So then let's think about this allegorically. Jesus rises. He gets up from his throne in heaven. And then he lays aside his glory. He sets aside his divine prerogatives. And then he takes the towel. Or he joins himself with our humanity. Taking on the form of a servant. And then he took the basin and he washed their feet with the water in the basin. But he washes us from our sins by the sprinkling and shedding of his blood. And then what happens? He's raised from the dead. And he puts on again his outer garment. He's again robed in glory. And then he ascends, seated again at the right hand of the Father from whence he came. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hand, and he knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. And that was it. From the incarnation, the moment of conception, all the way to the ascension, Jesus is giving us a prophetic illustration of what he was going to accomplish in the gospel. He gets up from the throne. He lays aside his glory. He joins himself to our humanity. He dies and sheds his blood for our sins. He's raised in glorified fashion. And he ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he now sits in power and authority until every single enemy, including death, is placed under his feet. He goes on to say this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do always as I have done to you. Most assuredly, he says, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. What is Jesus telling us? Jesus is saying, I came to serve, and I've called you to myself, and I've been a servant to you, and I've restored you to life in God. Now it's incumbent upon you to go and do likewise. 
Christianity is not a spectator sport. Are you with me? We need to be inspired by the love, the integrity, the purity, and the sacrificial service of Jesus Christ in such a way so as to go and do likewise. Because that's what this is all about. Jesus saves you, and your sins are forgiven. Amen? Beautiful, glorious. Thank God for the grace of God. Thank God that when I was unworthy, His grace came to me. Thank God. But He didn't save me and forgive me and restore me to life in God so that I could make my walk with Jesus about worldly comfort. And He's teaching us in this passage that your greatness is not characterized by how many people you could get to serve you. It's characterized by how many people you can serve. It's not characterized by the degree to which people will serve you. It's characterized by the degree to which you're willing to serve other people. That's inspiration from the Holy Ghost. Here's a news flash, right? That's right. Christ television. <laughs> Newsflash at 8 o'clock. So. The Holy Spirit will never inspire selfishness. Ever. It's not in God's nature. It's God's nature to serve. And when you've been served, and you've been put in this glorious position to have eternal life, my sins are forgiven. I have security in God. I've been set with brothers and sisters in a Christian family. All these incredible blessings. It makes me want to go out and do something for somebody. Are you with me? And if that doesn't happen to you, maybe you don't understand what Jesus has done for you. Because I feel compelled, just like Paul said, to serve. Not perfectly, by the way. Jesus reminds me. I do things all the time, and it says, the Holy Spirit didn't inspire that. It's okay. I'm still under construction. Are you with me? Anybody else still under construction? It's okay. It's not all right, but it's okay. You understand. Big theological difference between all right and okay. That's another sermon. Verse 17 says this, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, the blessing here is conditional. It depends on whether or not we do them. Knowing about Jesus and the example that he left us is not what he is after. No. He's after the hearts of men and women who have been reconciled to the one true God and are willing to take responsibility for the sharing of his love and mercy. That's what he's after. And so may God bless us to the degree that we participate in the sacrificial service that was modeled for us by the one who saved us and reconciles us to the one true God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.